This is a Life School Podcast, episode number 188, and today we're going to unpack whether or not real Christian conversion can happen outside of discipleship with our special guest, Bill Hull. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. This is the stuff that your parents, teachers, and pastors forgot to tell you. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Yeah, ooh, boo, it's ooh. almost Halloween, brother. <laughs> I noticed driving up to your house, you've got decorations. Yeah, we. you know what? We just got them out a little late. Yep. And I know, you know, you can go back last year and listen to, we talked about Halloween and all, and some of our listeners and some Christians, they get pretty flipped out by that. Vote your conscience. Yeah. You know, uh, go back and listen to what episode our th- 135, the best ways to be missional this Halloween. Yeah. Yep. But here we are. And um, once again, this year, we'll be pulling uh, we'll be pulling our bar from the back deck out around to the front driveway and the fire pit and all that kind of stuff, because it's uh, man, it is a golden opportunity. You know, Halloween just brings everybody brings the world to your doorstep. Yeah. So love on them. It's love beautiful. people. Well, give out those giant candy bars. Hey, <laughs> Speaking of golden opportunity, man, we have a guest today that is I'm pretty a excited. rock star. I'm pretty excited about it. when you when you see the same person writing book after book that you go like, oh, I wish I'd have written that, and like, <laughs> oh man, he's exactly he's reading my email, you know. And that's Bill Hull, right? Yeah. Bill Hull, who uh, we're going to jump into our conversation with in just a minute. Yeah. It's one of those guys, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Everywhere you look, I read a book last night, and it was like, hey, Bill Hull mentioned this back in 1995. And when we asked him about it, he's like, well, when you live long enough, you know. You get stuff done. (laughs) For those who don't know, Bill Hull uh, is based in Long Beach, California. He's a writer, teacher, discipleship evangelist, tons of books out. He's also the founder. I love that term, by the way, a discipleship evangelist. Yeah. Like, what's that mean? I love it, right? Yeah. (laughs) He's the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, and he can be reached by visiting billhull.net. Let's jump into the conversation with Bill. Uh, I want to keep everybody from anything good and golden here. Yeah, Bill, thanks for joining us. Well, it's it's great to be with you guys and to be able to talk with you about something that's really important to all of us, and that's uh, fulfillment of the Great Commission and serving Christ and pleasing Him. Yeah, you know, so as we get we get started in this, one of the things we like to do on the show is to kind of set up some definitions on the front end so we're, we're all on the same playing field as we get into this discussion. Uh, and I think that you and I and Caesar here would both agree, all of us would agree and believe that conversion and discipleship are actually uh, the same coin, maybe different sides, but but they are part of the same coin. Uh, and, and we just wanted to get your, your thoughts on maybe how you would describe definitions or, or ascribe definitions to conversion and then separately to discipleship. What do you think people usually mean within the church, and how would you define those roles today? Well, in the book, Conversion and Discipleship, I... I think I called it theological slang. <laughs> yeah. In other words, uh, conversion is a word that just generally in a non-technical way we've used to say when a person becomes a Christian. Okay. And then I think the word discipleship has traditionally meant what happens after you become a Christian. Okay. And so I think that that's the way that um, that I'm using those terms at least for the beginning of the discussion. Now, it can take on some more important meanings as we talk about it. What do, you, do you think that there's new definitions are needed? Like, do people need to understand conversion and what actually discipleship is differently or maybe in a more robust or complete way these days? Would that be helpful? Well, I think so. I mean, it's sort of like the Tower of Babel problem, except not exactly. 
But, you know, the Tower of Babel is that the languages were confused and the, the words uh, lost their meaning to each other as the language has changed. And I think that what we do is we use the same words, but they have different meanings. Hmm. And that's part of the problem in talking about the subject. But uh, I suppose the way I understand it is a disciple is a person who has decided to follow and learn from Jesus, uh, to become like Jesus, to be involved in what Jesus is involved in and his mission in the world. Yeah. And uh, to be a learner, uh, to be a student, to be an apprentice. Uh, when I think about discipleship, I think about the process of or the condition of my life where I am, I've made a decision to follow. And uh, it, it describes, it describes essentially my, my intention hmm. is to be his disciple and to, to learn from him. Uh, the word disciple making, I think of in terms of a strategy to evangelize the world. So to me, those are slightly separate things. Yeah. And we've actually spent years, I think, trying to also illuminate and it, I, there again, and much in the same way as conversion and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. We, we see evangelism and discipleship are also like that. They're two sides of the same coin. And when we bifurcate, when we separate evangelism from discipleship and discipleship evangelism, I think, I think we start to, to uh, get into some uneasy ground, let's just say. And I think it's it's caused some problems for us. When I think of uh, evangelism discipleship, I never have liked the term because it does tend to say it's like two subjects. And uh, I'm even guilty of it myself. I I wrote a little book, an ebook, with a friend of mine, Bobby Harrington, and we called it Evangelism and Discipleship. And I didn't even like the title, but it at least got us into the subject. But I, I think that the the idea of you know, to me, when Jesus said that his, the 11 disciples that were there after his resurrection and that he was issuing what we know as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when he said, make disciples, uh, I think they knew what he meant because they didn't ask him what he meant. Yeah. Mm. And I think that that's that's interesting factor in the Christian community today is that even among clergy, when you talk about making disciples, they'll somebody will raise their hand and say, what do you mean by that? Hmm. Uh, which tells you a lot that we could get into. But I think that when you make disciples of all the, of all the nations, that you're going to need more disciples, and you're going to need many disciples, and you're going to need new disciples. And you don't get more or many or new unless you evangelize. That's good, man. And so you, otherwise there'd be no reason to mention the idea of baptizing people and uh, teaching people. So I, I think that you get a holistic viewpoint from Matthew 28, but also Matthew 28 really doesn't tell them to be disciples because they already they are. already are. Yeah. Exactly. It's part of their identity now. So essentially what he's saying there, this is what, this is what you need to do because you are disciples, because you know what it means to be a disciple. So what kind of problems, Bill, are you seeing within the church and around the church worldwide due to the separating of conversion from discipleship? And, and I think that much of the church still sees 
discipleship as an optional next step for new Christians. And based on my experience working with hundreds of churches, even that's being generous because there's not a lot of discipleship going on. What are some of the problems you're seeing with that being seen as two separate things? Well, I think the biggest problem is uh, how it relates to, uh, I think the reason there's a division between conversion and discipleship is that it's because of the Gospels that we believe in. And and there's something I call the Gospel Americana, which is simply the the Gospel Americana has failed us. Hmm. And it's failed us, not in every place, thankfully, but uh, it's failed us in the sense that it has created people who think that following Jesus and being a Christian are two things that are different. Hmm. And that following Jesus and engaging in his mission in the world is a optional activity that has nothing to do with you going to heaven. So that you can be, you can become a Christian and not follow Jesus. And in the end, it doesn't matter. So it's very difficult for a pastor or a Christian leader to try to talk people into something that they don't really believe is true. Yeah. So they don't, they don't, they just sit back and fold their arms and realize, and, and because they believe that following Jesus is not necessary, hmm. uh, that being, uh, getting involved in the mission of Jesus is not necessary. And so as a result, that's how it's hurt us. That's the biggest problem is you have, and you know, you can't make people do what they don't want to do unless you do it by force. Hmm. And uh, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. So that's, that's, a, that's probably the biggest problem is that, is that people just think that, you know, maybe it's the clergy's idea. The clergy is really responsible for this yeah. and really serious Christians, but the rest of us, you know, we can throw a little money at it, but it's really not necessary for us to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think the church has worked real hard to get people, um, quote-unquote, saved from hell but not necessarily saved to Jesus and his mission to fill the world with his Father's glory. What are, what are some of the results, do you think, of that, where people see discipleship as sort of that extra step, and maybe that's for super-Christians? What do you think some of the results are within the church and or even uh, the pace of the mission that, that we see going on? Well, each one of these questions has uh, answers that are multi-layered, but Go for I, it. Think, <laughs> I think that um, the— the first thing is that they, they there's no sense of urgency hmm. because, and if your theology says, well, there's a finite number of people that are going to be saved no matter what you do, and they become somewhat fatalistic about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And that's really to misunderstand the gospel, I think. And uh, so I think that you get passiveness, you get people who feel confident, even if they drop out, Hmm. uh, that the church continues to minister to them and provide communion or whatever uh, they can uh, use as a signatory thing that, that makes a person feel like they're truly still in. Yeah. And, uh, but still you don't have to, really behave in any way that would make it seem like you are a practicing Christian. 
Hmm. It, it leads to, it leads to nominalism, which is in name only. Which I think has to break the heart of God, because I, I firmly believe, Bill, that Jesus didn't come and die uh, and give his life, that we might, some of us might just sit in rows once a week and listen to some stuff about him. And I, I really think that, that we're missing out on our birthright, our identity, the authority and privilege that we now have in Christ. Being part of the kingdom of God is the best possible life a human could live. If you believe Jesus yeah. lived the best life ever and he died that we might have that life, like it's, it's not only sad for the organizational church, but I, I have to think it breaks the heart of God that we're not grasping all that Jesus died to give us. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, um, I think also it, it makes the life a life of a pastor— uh, very more, much more difficult because the pastor is trying to talk people into something like it's like the you have an option on your contract and the pastor is trying to talk you into taking up the option on your contract hmm. and that that's his whole career is trying to get people to do that rather than saying you know we're all we're all in this together and we all are called and and everyone who has been called to salvation has been called to discipleship no exceptions no excuses and it creates an expectational level i think this is a lot of about, about expectation you know what's really in the gospel and there are some great passages in the new testament that give you a more holistic view of the gospel versus simply a transactional gospel where you know we made the deal and now I have what I need. I have the commodity. I just finished this uh, this book the other day called Bitten by a Camel, and the author of it, his name's Kent Dobson, he's, he makes a comment that says, like, when we start thinking that Jesus will primarily take all the good people to heaven and torture everyone else, there's no need to do anything else other than just worry and panic about being in the right group. And he argues that a lot of Christianity uh, has been stuck right there. And because the Church has kind of unknowingly, one of the things we've we've discussed a few times on this podcast is that we've kind of reserved it the medium looking like this is only for the professionals to do the disciple making. So then the ask of the of the everyday parishioner is, hey, go out. The the church staff is going to put on a better production. Get all you have to do is get your friends in this building, and we're going to let the senior pastor do the home run. And that's the that's the There's fullest the example of discipleship that that many churches are even putting out. They become the supporting cast, the congregation. Exactly. And what I have said is well, that more like the audience. Yeah, that, that we don't expect very much from the people in our churches. Hmm. And if you don't expect very much or ask very much, you won't, that's what you'll get, not very much. Yeah. And, and I've said also that, that they actually believe by our behavior and by how we spend money and the buildings we put up, what, they, what it says is that the clergy are responsible for reaching the world and they're not going to change their mind until the clergy changes theirs. Hmm. Yeah, amen. Until, until the leaders change their mind about it. But to change your mind about it means, you know, metanoia. Yeah. It means to repent, to change, to, to begin to talk differently about the body of Christ, to begin to demonstrate and lead out and show people how to do things. Hmm. And that's what I liked so much about the approach of Soma when I first heard about it years ago was the idea of living it out in real time, in real lives, 
and then allowing it, it all to be demonstrated for people so people did know what you're talking about and they when you say reach your neighbors or love people as christ loved them hmm. that you have some kind of you have some examples yeah uh by real people that you know that have shown you how to do that well now you're now you're stepping on some some ha- hallowed ground there because as soon as you say that the leaders have to actually get out and make disciples that pastors do that elders do they got a whole lot of people tuning out right now because they're going like i know that we don't Unfortunately, now there's a lot that do, but I, I've, I'm sure you've probably experienced similar things, Bill. I'll speak at conferences a lot, uh, and you know it's a room full of professionals, and I'll ask them, you know, hundreds of people, how many of you feel like you were discipled in every area of life, you know, in light of what the what the how the gospel speaks into all things and what's true of your identity and how you get to live, and someone walked with you through you know through your life for extended periods of time to help you live the life that Jesus would live. How many of you were discipled in that way? And you might get one or two hands per hundred people go up. So, well, then it's no wonder that we're having a problem with leaders actually making disciples or making that central focus like Jesus did, because they've yet to be discipled. And that breaks my heart. And I, and there again, like I said a little while ago, I think that breaks God's heart. Let me ask a follow-up to some of this, Bill. How do you think this problem um, that you know, you're describing here has affected also the way that Christians in general have engaged the needs uh, in the world and justice issues t- that are going on today. And we just actually talked about mercy and justice a couple episodes back, episode 185. Yeah, exactly. But what, how do you think that's affecting how we are in the world and, 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 and actually meeting the needs and looking like the first century church? Well, there's a couple of components to that. One is how people understand how they're to relate to uh, their friends and neighbors. If you know, there's been classically, they've been taught that to reach your neighbor means to at some point, uh, the goal is to give them a gospel presentation. Hmm. And so the first thing that does is unless you're a confident person and you're really an outgoing person, the first thing that does is make it make it more likely that you'll not never do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because you you have to give some sort of presentation. You have to do something that's threatening. You know, rather than, okay, what Christ, you know, when I, I, one of the things I'm impressed about, about Jesus, there's a lot, so much to be impressed by, but one of the things that does relate to this is that, you know, when he, he took his disciples, the, the five that he initially took out with him in John chapter 1 through 4, he went to a wedding. That was the first place he took them. Now, I don't think that he went to that wedding thinking, boy, what an opportunity to have an evangelistic time with, with the people at the wedding. Hmm. Nor do I think his disciples uh, thought anything other than, oh, we're going to go to a wedding with Jesus. And when Jesus got there, essentially he just did what he naturally did. He was just being himself. Yeah. And in being himself, he made an impact. Hmm. His mother got him involved, and we know this, the, the story, water into wine. Yeah. 978 bottles of wine, as uh, somebody calculated. Nice. Yeah, that's a lot of wine. It's a lot of good wine. But Jesus just kept going through his life and just naturally reacting and responding to people and what was around him. And he was just, 
he wasn't trying to really do anything in, a, in the sense of a lot of people that he encountered. That, yes, he did have an agenda. Yes, he knew what he was doing. And, yes, he was preaching the kingdom of God. Yes, he was doing that. But a lot of what we read in the New Testament is just Jesus reacting to people around him. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we can convince people that, you know, the church is purpose is to is for discipleship. In other words, the reason we gather is to be edified and encouraged and to acknowledge our Lord and to keep our story straight and do all those kinds of things. And then when we leave that meeting, we are uh, we are simply not just drifting through the world, that we are actually called to love people the way Jesus loved them. And so that that means is when people have simple needs around our around us or ask questions or need help, that we step in just like Jesus naturally did. Yeah. And as we step in and love people and are kind to them and helpful to them, it gives us the kind of credibility with them that it just comes out of us about our relationship with Christ. Hmm. So if we don't have a relationship with Christ, uh, that's where there's growth and movement and vitality, then what we are will be revealed. Yeah. But if we do have what it's we're told to have, then what's going to happen is that we're going to, the last thing that we'd ever have to worry about is people that would be interested in Christ because they'd be interested in Christ because of the Christ in us. Yeah. And I think we need to, that has to be demonstrated and, and essentially sold to the congregation as a viable way of living. Well, and obviously as we look at the attendance numbers and sort of the people beating feet out of regular church attendance and participation in faith communities, Christian faith communities, that's, that's right at the core of that. Where's the good news? I'm out in regular life. I know you. I know a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but I'm just not seeing a whole lot of Jesus there. Well, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we talk about getting people to come to church and so on. And I know that you guys know a lot about the attractional model and, and all those kinds of things. But, you know, uh, and you probably have even used this illustration, but it's something that, that I found very helpful. And uh, it is like, uh, you know, we love the brown trucks, the UPS, and they come to our house and deliver a package. I actually got a book today from them, and it's laying right there on the porch. Hmm. But what if they called me up and said, Bill, uh, we have your book over here, and we distribute it at a window between the hours of uh, 9 and 11. And uh, so come get your package. And I think if the church, you know, the church operates that way a lot, the attractional model, which yeah. is come to the distribution center. And we'll distribute to you our religious goods and services. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not, that's the reverse of what God is telling us to do, which is there are no commands in Scripture for non-Christians to go to church, but there are plenty for us to go to the world yeah. and to live in the world. So essentially, it would be stupid for UPS to operate that way, but frankly, uh, the way we behave is that we have behaved that way hmm. rather than disseminating people 
out into the community that are prepared to be counted for Christ uh, in the community. Yeah, exactly. Be, you see, that that's to me, uh, it's just absolutely the verse. That doesn't mean, though, that the gathering isn't important because the gathering is essential, but sure. uh, also the distribution, uh, the delivery system are the delivery system are disciples. Right, not the church service. Bill, do you think this is all really a gospel issue? Like the, the that we're not having a big enough and true gospel that's being preached and understood? Is this is this really all boiled down to our understanding of, of what the gospel is? Well, I think that's the most important part, yes. I think the most important part is that you can't make a Christ-like disciple from a non-discipleship gospel. In other words, if you have a consumer gospel, which is a very popular one in our country, essentially it's a consumer gospel is about me. It's about what I want. Sure. It's, uh, I shop for religious goods and services. So that's my, my gospel is primarily about me and getting my needs met and my getting closer to Jesus and all these kinds of things. When actually Christ invites us into a life that is about others. So if you have a gospel that's about primarily about me and the what Christ is calling us to is a primarily about others, then essentially you have something quite at odds. They're polarized. And so you can't get from the consumer gospel to a Christ likeness because Christ likeness is about other people. Yeah. So this is the problem that we have is that we have people that are well-trained in consumerism and who are attracted to consumer gospels, and then we say we want to make disciples. And hmm. so we try to make disciples from a consumeristic gospel. Well, you get a consumeristic disciple. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't it, that works, but it works badly. It's, it's not good. It's, it's uh, just deploying a lot of selfish Christians into the world. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the old adage of what you win them with is what you win them to. I think there's a huge bait and switch that's gone on for the last, I don't know, 50, 70 plus years where, you know, to use a fishing analogy, we're dragging a certain type of bait or lure through the water. Mm -hmm. We tracked all kinds of fish. And then, and then when we get them there in the boat, we're like, okay, now it's about this. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I never signed up for any of that. Yeah, well, that's what it's really about. Like, so. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a, with a buddy who was saying, I was asking about a relationship he had, a, a friendship that he had, and he said, you know, I, I really love this person, and I love living in life with him. I just haven't gotten him to say the sinner's prayer yet. And I'm like, well, if that's, <laughs> yeah. if that's your kind of grand finale, man, and you're not discipling him in all of life, then you're missing the boat big time. So uh, a question for you, Bill, is like, what would you say to the people like that, like in regards to our church's cultural expectation, that people just need to say some sort of magic prayer with certain words and then maybe receive salvation and restoration that way. What would your words be to us in that regard? To me, uh, the gospel is that faith is primarily an action. It's not only an action, right? but it's primarily, its primary property is act to act. And so that's the reason that we start with Jesus when we think about the gospel and what believing is, I think biblical faith, biblical believing is following. I, I think that it's not the only word you can use, but it's where Jesus started okay. with follow me. And, you know, James develops this in the second chapter of his book. So the idea to me is 
that we, we need to go back and rebuild our gospel and rethink it and start saying, all right, what does the word grace mean? What's the word yeah. faith mean? Uh, because this gets down to what is faith. And I believe that if we've taught that faith is agreement, <laughs> uh, that grace is passive, and that if, if we're just saying that to believe and have faith is agreeing with uh, doctrine, agreeing with teaching, that is not biblical faith. That is not what the Bible means by faith. And uh, there's a book out this last year called uh, Salvation by Allegiance Alone by a scholar named Matthew Bates. And in this book, he really, it's, he calls it Salvation by Allegiance Alone because he makes the case that biblical faith, faith is much more accurately described by the English word allegiance than it is by the English word faith because the word faith in English is not used the same way as it was in the first century hmm. in the original language that they were speaking then. Well, and that's led us down a whole lot of different roads, Bill. I, I, I'd love to be able to continue the conversation. We are uh, sort of running out of time here. That, I can't believe how fast time has flown with you. Um, can I just hit you up right in front of everybody here on the air to say, like, maybe we can get you back another time and we'll go a little deeper down a few of these rabbit, these rabbit trails? Well, sure. You guys uh, make it easy. Just have a conversation. There you go. Yeah. Well, and maybe we're modeling something. Wink, wink <laughs> for what's <laughs> going on out there. Um, this is this is a topic, Bill, that we never grow tired of talking about. And we certainly appreciate your heart and, and your the way that you've going to frame this conversation and discipleship issue. But I also want to thank you for all the other all the other books. You've been a faithful servant and saint to all of us. And, and there's there so much good so much good stuff out there. I just want to, you know, we're going to put our links in our show notes yep. to, to conversion and discipleship. You can't have one without the other, but we're also going to, uh, you can get a hold of Bill and find out more about what he's up to uh, at BillHull.net. And again, that'll all be in the show notes. Yep. And uh, Bill, you're leading up the Bonhoeffer Project, right? Yes. The Bonhoeffer Project is something that I started about five years ago. And uh, I, I thought at first it was going to be a little boutique ministry, but it's uh, already grown beyond my uh, my my faith and my imagination. <laughs> wow! Um, and uh, the first year we had two cohorts. The second year five. The third year fourteen. The next year twenty five. And uh, this next year fifty six. Oh my goodness! Wow! And uh, all we're doing is essentially getting leaders together in groups of five to eight, spending a year with them, and saying. Okay, let's talk about the gospel. Hmm. Let's talk about what it means to make disciples, and let's develop a plan. TheBonhofferProject.com, my friends. Great. And again, BillHole.net. He's also on social media. Worth a follow. I mean, he's got for sure. yeah, constantly putting sure. out some good stuff. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks for joining us, Bill. My pleasure, guys. You know, Caesar, the thing I like about that guy, man, he he's just got that sound of like a sage. Like he's got wisdom. Just you know, he's tried this stuff. This isn't. You could tell he's lived a life full he's of modeling. He's not trying to convince anybody, right? No. Hey, this, this is true. He knows it. I know. I hope I'm going to be that way when I'm an old buck. <laughs> yeah, you, will, you are an old buck, and you are that way. Okay. You know? <laughs> and again, if you haven't read his book, Conversion and Discipleship, which was really the launching pad for this conversation, uh, the book's Conversation and Discipleship. You can't have one without the other. Totally available on Amazon, and we're going to provide that link also here in the show notes. But it's time to get into the big three from this episode, which is the big three takeaways that people 
we want people leaving with just right now. And uh, we're going to give those to you for free by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 188. So here's the big three, man, coming off of what Bill said. And again, if you get the book, I mean, it goes so much deeper than our little 20, 25 minute conversation. So here's the first of the big three. Bill used this term, the gospel Americana. And uh, he said that the gospel Americana teaches that conversion is a first step that seals your fate in the afterlife. And then discipleship in this life is optional. Hmm. And that is just nowhere to be found in scripture. Yep. And Jesus' disciples understood exactly what he meant when he said in Matthew, go and make disciples all the world. Yeah. They, it, he, they knew who they were in him. They knew the life he lived and they knew exactly what he meant by that. Yep. Second uh, of the big three, you'll never make a disciple from a non-discipleship gospel. So in other words, a gospel that does not include disciples making disciples filling the world with God's glory. And, and in all true Christians being disciples of Jesus, it's actually a very truncated gospel, and mm. it's not the gospel that Jesus proclaimed and preached. Yep, you're right, man. So if that's the gospel you're hearing, and it's like discipleship's a side program, uh, it's, it's not the gospel Jesus proclaimed. Yep. Third, the Bible never commands Christians, or anyone for that matter, to come into the church. It commands Christians to go, go out of the church, go and make disciples. And, and, and I would just say, if, if you've been discipled, are you making more disciples today? Yeah. That's because that's a process. Go and make that. that, that it's a multiplication of yep, it, yeah. Right. And if you've never been discipled into a gospel that speaks into and touches all of life, well, then I want to say the adventure awaits. Yeah. Because that's the life that Jesus came to give us, not not just sitting and listening to people talk about him once in a while. Yeah. Right? It's a great adventure, man. It's the greatest adventure. Jesus lived the best human life possible, and we get to. And that's yeah. what discipleship's about, filling the world with God's glory. Love it. Yeah, thanks for that, man. Yeah, and thanks, thanks again to Bill. So, yeah. Bill, great. thank you. Time's up for today, but we want to thank everyone for joining us. We know that you get to, there's millions of podcasts. Thanks for choosing this one. You can get the download again of this week's Big Three Takeaways by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 188. You'll get those big three downloads right in your inbox. If you haven't yet joined our Facebook group, you can do that by going to Facebook, type in Life School Podcast in the search bar, and Caesar and I will approve you to the group. And we might even welcome you next Monday and say thanks for hmm. thanks for our new guests. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should do that. We should just start welcoming our new guests hmm. on air. Huh? Yeah. Up cool. to this point, we haven't kicked anyone off of the What are we gonna talk about next week? Well, thanks for asking, Caesar. Join us next week. <laughs> that was pretty quick. Gonna... I'm gonna yeah, go. <laughs> We're gonna talk about why it's necessary that we actually treat everybody like family. Is this a model that comes from Scripture? No, we're supposed to just think about it. Like, yeah. you know, sort of like, quote... As long quote, as your intention is to quote, treat everyone like Quotational happy. family. No, where do we see this in Scripture? Where we've where have we seen it in our own lives? Uh, we're going to be sharing different stories. And this episode's really going to push us to be more open in our lives with one another. Yeah. So I think it's going to be helpful. It's going to challenge some people. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, so join us for that. Thanks again for joining us today. For more information, you can visit 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast. 